HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area. And we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio. And we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's in their studio. Because they talk to people who are, are serious about food. And that's what we are at Fairway is we're serious about food. We, we just care very deeply about, about you as a, as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain. And, and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to, to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it. And, and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's, that's, we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Monday afternoon to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, um, and my co-host today, and from now on, uh, joining me, I'm really excited about, is Sophie Schlesinger. Uh, that was a Bob Dylan song that we led off with, uh, because today we're continuing our State of Cheese series, uh, and we're talking about Minnesota, home Yay. to... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Home to famous musicians like Bob Dylan and, uh, of course, Prince, uh, and, you know, to a burgeoning number of really excellent cheesemakers. Um, and so I'm very pleased to announce our first guest, 
Jeff Jarek, who's owner and cheesemaker at Faribault Dairy in Faribault, Minnesota. Are you with us, Jeff? Yes. <clears throat> yes, I am. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show today. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be on. I was enjoying that music, and that is a great connection to the opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it said it said on the you know on on YouTube that that was recorded in a in a Minnesota hotel way back when. So we thought it was an appropriate one. Brought back some great memories. <laughs> oh, so tell us a little bit about uh, about what you do at at, at Faribault. Um, how did you come to be involved with them, and uh, how long have you been making cheese? Oh, let's see. I'm an old guy. <laughs> I, I grew up on a dairy farm about 15 miles north of Faribault, and um, yeah, went on to school to get a degree in biology, and came back home in December of 1979 to the family farm. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of days, I think my dad grew tired of me being back home, and he said, go find a job. <laughs> <laughs> Happens with us all. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I did my job. Get out of here. Yeah. Anyhow, he um, had a friend in town, Don McComas, uh, over in Furbolt, who worked with the Minnesota Job Service at the time. And Don said, quote, unquote, they're hiring big guys down at the Cheese Caves. <laughs> and so... Uh, at six foot and about 217 pounds at the time I qualified for that. That was my resume. <laughs> and I went to work here in Faribault scraping blue mold off of uh, blue vein cheeses. Fantastic. So, well, so the biology degree actually did come into play then, Elder. It did eventually. What happened after about three weeks, they realized I had a degree in biology and they had an opening in the lab. So I became a licensed milk tester and grader and then a cheese analyst. And uh, that be- led to a move out to Wisconsin, where I learned how to make real Colby, real Jack, real cheddar. And where did you where did you learn that? What school uh, did you go to? Well, I was assigned to a plant in Wausau, Wisconsin, oh. and my lead cheese maker was in the town of Hamburg, Roger Nossinger. So I am today still a licensed Wisconsin cheese maker, even though I reside in Minnesota. Okay, I have a, uh, one of my aunts lives in Wausau. Oh, it's beautiful area. My wife and I just loved it there. And we were sad to leave. We came back to Minnesota in about 1985, and I came back to this plant and uh, eventually moved into production. Uh-huh. And then in 1991, um, the, dec- you know, the 80s was a, a decade of buyouts, and uh, at that time, our company was owned by Swift & Company, which got merged or acquired by ConAgra. Anyhow, in, 19, in April 15th of 1991, they announced they were going to shut this plant down because it was uh, too small. Oh. So they outsourced the cheese to a firm in Wisconsin and moved the label over there, and this plant shut down for good in 1993. Wow. Wow. That's crazy, huh? It's like a, a place with that much history. Because when did, when did Fairbolt open? Well, this place started out believe it or not, as a brewery, you know, there's a lot of relationships there with beer that are kind of fun over the years, but uh, (laughs) uh, it started out as a brewery in 1856, which was two years before Minnesota became a state, which is proof that us Minnesotans have our priorities, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, when Prohibition came along in 1918, the uh, owners of the brewery decided not to fight it, and they, they... um, shut it down. In 1936, a gentleman named Felix Fredrickson from, believe it or not, Wausau, Wisconsin, 
came along and he started up the plant again, and it became the first blue cheese plant in the United States. Wow. Now that's interesting because, um, and so there's also, you know, uh, a, a relationship traditionally with um, caves and, and blue cheese. So how did, how did um, uh, Mr. Fredrickson decide to do uh, a blue cheese? Well, that is, okay. The, um, he had been overseas during the war and was familiar with the caves of Roquefort in Mount Camembert. Uh-huh. And was intrigued with the natural humidity and the effect that had on the ripening cheeses. So when he came back to the United States, he'd heard about um, a rock formation known as St. Peter Sandstone. And long story on St. Peter Sandstone, it's named after the um, what is now known as the Minnesota River. And he came to Minnesota, going to St. Peter, Minnesota, which is uh, where the rock formation is really well exposed, and was en route with his wife, Dorothy, when they uh, stopped in Fairbolt, and he, in his own words, I cast my eyes to the east, and thereupon discovered what upon further investigation and proved to indeed be St. Peter Sandstone. Uh, we have that from his address in 1958 to the Rice County Historical Society, so I decided he's even more wordy than I am. <laughs> it was in fashion back then, you know? You had to, it had to sound romantic. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, he uh, uh, began making cheese December 8th of 1936. Wow. Wow. That is so... That is so interesting. Okay, so I totally got sidetracked, and I do this often, but so that is a beautiful introduction to how he started making cheese, and then right as we got off on that tangent, you were talking about how you came to be the owner of the Faribault cheese plant um, back in the early 90s. Well, what happened was, after that experience of having being shut down by a big company, I decided I was never going to work for a big company again, and so um, went to work and a couple of other related fields. But I could never get the caves off my mind because what we did was truly exceptional. And so I kept talking to, or periodically kept talking to one of the local banks about, gosh, wouldn't it be neat if you guys would borrow me enough money to open up those cheese caves again? And <laughs> finally, through persistent effort, uh, after about nine years, they yielded. And um, <laughs> with two other friends, we opened up the what we had, a, what we called Servo Dairy Company, in uh, 2001 in May. Wow! Wow! Congratulations! That is yeah. such a cool story. Well, thank you. I, uh, as the owner of a, a very small company myself, I can I can sympathize with that not wanting to work for a big company uh, uh, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, that. So anyhow, we started up and. By the grace of God and through hard work and and uh, people that care. Um, in the artisanal cheese movement, we were able to continue growing it, and here we are today. Well, and so, can you tell us a little bit more about the the cheeses that you make specifically, and do they relate to that original cheese made by Mr. Fredrickson? Yes, they do. We're uh, we're pretty proud of that. In fact, as we got a little bit older and had some money, we actually trademarked the phrase "America's First Blue" because the recipe we're using. And, you know, as much as there is a recipe, is uh, indeed the original, as close as we can remember it. It's uh, 
it is the real thing, and that's today what we call, you know, our marketing program is pretty simple because we're from Minnesota. <laughs> so our, our flagship cheese is called St. Pete Select after the St. Peter sandstone that it's aged in. Very nice. Very nice. So so St. Pete Select, and then I think I saw one other on your website. Is there another blue Another cheese? blue is uh, Ama Blue, and again, Got to remember, I was a biology guy, so AMA is Latin for I love. <laughs> and, right. and BLU is the technical name for the style of blue cheese that we make. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, man. Well, I have to say, I am so- well, I'm sorry to say that I have never tried your cheeses. Um, out here in New York, I don't know, um, do you sell to anybody here in the New York area? Yes, we're over at Murray's, and we're in the Wegmans, and I don't, and... Well, I can think of a couple other places. I just, I never thought of researching that before I got on the line. Wegmans <laughs> and Murray's for sure. Okay. Well, those are big, those are big ones. People can definitely. And artisanal. We're over at artisanal, I believe, as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. And was that the Steve Jenkins I heard on the intro? That was the Steve Jenkins. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. He is the, he is the best. He is, he is the greatest guy. <laughs> I can still remember the very first time I met him was in 2001 at the American Cheese Society uh, annual gathering. That year was in D.C. Oh, cool. That man is a wealth of knowledge, and he's done a tremendous amount of work to advance the cause of us small cheese makers. Yeah, no, he's an incredible guy. You know, it's funny. I actually worked at Murray's Cheese back when I was first getting started um, in the cheese business, and on my very first day there, somebody gave me a copy of his cheese primer, which I faithfully kept, you know, next to my bed, and I would, you know, fall asleep reading about <laughs> some sort of cheese every night before. <laughs> I can empathize with that comment. I can glance over my shoulder and see my dog-eared copy as well. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully Steve will listen to this show and know how much we love him. <laughs> Um, well, can you tell us a little bit more about um, uh, the farms that you work with, uh, that you source milk from? Um, how many farms do you buy from? Are they, are, what size are they? Are they near the dairy? Well, we've actually had a lot of things happen in the last year. Um, we had, let's see, about five, all of our sourcing is grade A milk, and it's primarily from Holstein Hertz. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, seven local farms. In the um, about four or five years ago, and I'm sorry I don't have these dates down more, but we were intrigued uh, with the grass-fed milk movement, and we um, began some work with Pastureland, a small co-op of uh, at that time three farms, about 30 miles away here in Minnesota. And I actually worked on a couple cheeses with them. Uh, one was a cheddar, which mm-hmm. was fun for us to make because we don't normally get to make cheddar. Sure, yeah. And then uh, we also introduced a blue, which is uh, our grass-fed blue is called Verdant. Uh, again, simple marketing, Verdant Pastures. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it, it's simple, it works, yeah, it tastes it works. good, you don't need to make it complicated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, no, that's uh, and then that led to some more interest because we were. In, I think um, curiosity is a great thing, and one of the most rewarding aspects of my career as a cheesemaker is that I mean, it's limitless what you can study and and what you can delve into. 
But at first I thought grass-fed milk was, you know, perhaps just a, another marketing thing. But then when we started making cheese with it, I realized, wow, this is different. Hmm. What could uh, you notice as a cheesemaker? Well, the very first thing we noticed was, uh, you know, the cheesemaker I've been training is Nick. And I'll never forget when we made that first fat of uh, cheddar cheese with it. It was uh, time to cut the curd, and we cut the curd, and when the curd separated from the whey, the whey almost had a greenish tinge to it. Huh. And then Nick looked, Nick looked at me, and I looked at Nick, and I'm not a smoker, but I said, Nick, I think I need a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it was way different. Pardon the pun. And, uh, that cheese, uh, it was... Uh, at that point, I realized, yes, the fatty acid profile was completely different than what we were used to seeing in um, conventionally fed milk. Hmm. That's amazing. So, like, again, your biology and, tre- and, che- and intense cheesemaker training, I'm sure. I feel like a lot of cheesemakers do things more by intuition. They haven't had that technical background. So it's interesting that you can put more of a, a, a an exact, you know, qualifier on why that milk was different. Well, one of the more profound things in that happens is, um, you know, they used to say when, back in the 80s when I was making cheese that cheese making is half art and half science. And what attracted me to it at the beginning was the science because we were trying to be consistent and consistency is the hallmark of great cheesemakers and we were using science to help us do that you know to help us understand what the drivers were in the process but it's the art that's kept me in the industry because you are working with a living being those cheese are alive and they respond to everybody that works with them and that, you can't drive that out of the process unless you want to make dead cheese, and we all know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> We've experienced it. We've seen yeah. the, the cry of act uh, sad block somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, the shelf-stable cheese. I always enjoy that. But anyhow, um, so that's that led us into playing with affinage, where we would bring other cheeses into the cave and see how they reacted because that, uh, offshoot of the grass-fed experiments was we had done some aging on those cheddars and and we were developing notes that weren't typical, but that were fun. And so uh, we now have three cheeses that um, we do the uh, affinage, which is a French word for maturing mm-hmm. of of cheese. We do that here as well. One is a a cheddar from my good friend uh, Jeff Weidman, a master cheesemaker out of Monroe, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a two-year-old that we then bring into the che- caves and cave age naked for several months. Um, uh, and then the next cheese after that was a a grass-fed Gouda, which we've called St. Mary's. Again, simple marketing. Uh, our caves are underneath the uh, uh, former Episcopalian school called St. Mary's. Okay. (laughs) You got St. Peter's Sandstone and St. Mary's School above. These cheeses are in good shape, I tell you. Well, we're just, you know, we're always trying to, we feel like a part of the fabric of the community and the the land that we grow our cheeses in. And so it's just natural for us to name them about the things around us. And, uh, 
yeah, St. Mary's is a is a fun Gouda. It doesn't have a traditional taste because the uh, grass-fed profile and the fats uh, really does lend it to be a much softer and a less nutty cheese than the traditional Gouda. Mm-hmm. And then, because we were doing that and we're curious folk, we um, brought in a conventional Gouda that was made with conventional uh, RBST free milk. And that led to our latest, which is called Jeff's Select, um, making fun of the fact that Jeff Weidman and I both share the same first name. And then <laughs> the, the tagline underneath it is Cheesemakers Without Borders. <laughs> I was gonna, that's a whole other show. The the different <laughs> Wisconsin and Minnesota. Who's the who's got the better dairy? No. I, <laughs> I won't even go there. <laughs> I am a proud member of the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Brotherhood. I've they, those people have been so supportive and I get endlessly teased about why I don't move back to the motherland of cheese. (laughs) Well, we're happy that you're doing what you're doing over there in Minnesota. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, gosh, this always goes by too fast, but it looks like um, we have run out of time. Um, But I would love for you to come back and be on the show. I feel like we've got to go further into into more detail here because we only got the tip of the iceberg. Oh, that'd be fun. I'd, I'd love that. Um, well, thank you again for taking time to be on the show today, and we'll definitely be in touch and do Minnesota Revisited. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Have Thanks, a great Jeff. day. You too. Bye-bye. following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Tuesday at 6.30pm, Chef Erica Wides hits the airwaves to become your own personal chef instructor. Chef Wides, along with esteemed guests from the culinary world, dissect topics that range from the complex to the deceptively simple, combining classic culinary know-how, personal experiences, and the occasional virtual history lesson, Why We Cook is a great listen for culinary vets and rookies alike. Again, that's Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Uh, I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and my co-host today is Sophie Schlesinger. Um, So we are doing the state of cheese in Minnesota and just had a really awesome sort of like mini karaoke fest with uh, that Purple Rain song because how can you not sing along to Prince? Um, so in our second segment, uh, we're going to continue discussing cheese in Minnesota 
with um, Benjamin Roberts, uh, who works uh, at uh, France 44, a cheese shop uh, that actually has two locations in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Um, and Sophie is going to lead off the questions for this segment. Yep. Hi, Benjamin. Thanks Hello. for joining us. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so our first question is actually kind of, I guess, more logistical, and, and then I promise we'll get to cheese. But So can you just explain quickly, there are two locations, and my sister keeps telling me, who goes to college in Minnesota, you have to go to the St. Paul Cheese Shop, you have to go to the St. Paul Cheese Shop. But that, if I'm saying this correctly, is part of France 44? That's correct. Uh, our original location is located in Minneapolis, it's attached to a, a large wine shop. Um, it's got much more of a big kind of suburban feel to it. And then about almost two years ago, we opened a second location over in St. Paul across from McAllister College, uh, my alma mater. And a uh, tiny little shop has much more of a uh, congested New York City feel to it, which makes me feel right at home. <laughs> we can relate to that. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Not quite as small as your shop, Anne, but um, still pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my shop, it's kind of, I feel like, you know, maybe we should apply for the Guinness Book or something. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Most cheese per square foot or yeah. something. <laughs> so, Benjamin, what's your role um, at the St. Paul Cheese Shop and at France 44? So, my role is pretty much everything having to do with food with their businesses I'm in charge of. So I do all the buying, marketing, organizing, running, planning, sandwich making, uh, behind the counter, soup to nuts, um, of all, anything involving food with France 44. Cool. Big so job. Yeah, you're pretty busy. Uh, I am. Uh, <laughs> definitely having two shops makes it a little bit of a challenge. Um, but it's also fun because I pretty much get to do whatever I want um, when I want to. So that's nice, too. And how far, How I'm like, I'm a doofus. I should know this because I'm from <laughs> the Midwest. But how far exactly are St. Paul and Minneapolis away from each other? Uh, well, they, they border each other and they're divided uh, mostly by the Mississippi River. Uh, our, our two shops, I can drive um, without traffic 20, 25 minutes on the highway. So, you know, as the crow flies, it's not particularly far, but the... The France 44 is located on the, the very far southwest corner of Minneapolis, so it's kind of tucked away, um, far, far away in, in the dark corner of Minneapolis. <laughs> cool. And then what about you? How did you find yourself in, in the world of cheese, and, and how did you end up um, in Minnesota? Uh, I found myself in the world of cheese because I was managing a, uh, a restaurant in Park Slope, Brooklyn, called Applewood. Um, yeah. which New York people may have heard of. And great they, place. they had a great um, artisan cheese plate there and all domestic artisan cheeses, and, and it really um, caught my fancy. And ended up back in Minnesota because, like I said before, I went to school out here and wanted a bit of a, a slower pace of life than New York City, and it, it just seemed like a, a great spot to move back to. And I knew I didn't want to be in the restaurant business any longer. I enjoyed my time, um, but I was kind of done. I, I prefer the retail pace and hours. And so um, I, I just I found happened to find the France 44 guys. They were in the process of retooling their food business, and um, I just approached them with a vision of, of what we could do with cheese out here. Cool. And, and and what's the public's response been? I mean, do you do you guys? Uh, yeah, I guess that's a broad question. And then, what are some of the cheeses that um, you sell the most of? Um, 
When I arrived here, there were a few cut-to-order cheese counters, um, and then since our arrival and, and opening two shops cut-to-order, uh, three of them have closed. Two were, were run by the, the same owner, and then there was one other that closed. And so really for cut-to-order cheese shops, a new one just opened, but for a while there were basically the two that I ran and one other, and so that is a bit daunting in a, in a town where there's a lot of uh, grocery stores that do a, you know, a, a decent job as grocery stores do with cheese, but we, we wanted to present something different. And coming from the East Coast, I felt like I had a lot of a strong connections to East Coast cheesemakers that folks in the Midwest probably hadn't seen. And, and that was my big focus in the first year was to sort of introduce some of the smaller East Coast farmstead cheesemakers that people out here maybe never had seen before. And, and, and it went great. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Who are who are some of those farms that you guys uh, that you guys work with out? Um, at well, our, our, my initial sort of excitement was to bring in the Cato Corner cheeses. Um, mm. That's Mark Gilman in uh, in Colchester, Connecticut, and I loved his cheeses. And you know, I, I dream of the Hooligan and <laughs> and and the Bloom today. And you know, and, and we brought those in straight off the bat. Um, we also, we introduced uh, Nettle Meadow to this market, the Kunick. Um, it really wasn't, I mean, I know Sheila's gotten bigger and bigger, but at the time when I was here, that, that cheese wasn't here. And, and we brought that into this market. And, um, now I bet it, people are like kissing your feet when you like walk down the street. <laughs> They're like, oh my God. I, I feel like people have a particular reverence for Kunick. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, one of my favorites um when it's on it's just fantastic and um and people were really really excited and and we we had you know that really helped build our brand here when people knew that they were the only place in town where you know we were the only place in town where they could come and get that cheese and, sure. and that was fantastic and what about uh the cheeses in you ca- that you carry in the shop how do you kind of decide which ones you'd like to have and and what about uh any cheeses from minnesota that you're enjoying right now you know, it's uh, it's a struggle. When when I originally started buying for the case, my goal was to be about seventy percent domestic farmstead cheeses mm-hmm. and thirty percent imported. And and I've watched that kind of flip flop as we go with what the customers want. Uh, right. I, I, I wish I could run my ideal case, but we also want to make a living and stay in business. And so, um, so now you know we're we're still we still push um, and we still have great luck with domestic. Farmstead cheeses, but just not as uh, not as many as as we used to ratio wise. Um, but we can still do really well, um, and we're we're still always, you know, we bring in sweetgrass dairy green hills from from Georgia in the winter time. People love those. We've been doing a lot of work with Consider Bardwell in Vermont, and we we have good luck. And we started bringing in stuff from Blue Ledge in Vermont, and um, so that that's great. And then you know, in terms of Minnesota cheeses, I mean, we have a few, but not. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were just chatting with um, Jeff Jarek of uh, mm-hmm. Fairbolt Dairy. Yep. Um, do you guys sell any of their blue cheese? You know, we don't. I mean, I've I've met Jeff and have had some great conversations with him, and and I, I actually really like his cheeses. But his his cheeses are so uh, ubiquitous out here, and and you can get them in so many places, and and we're just so we've got you know our sort of slight amount of space compared to what the grocery stores carry that. It, it just didn't feel necessary to represent his cheeses in our case, but it, it's not for any lack of enjoyment of those cheeses. It's just they're they're everywhere in the cities here. <laughs> cool. I'm gonna have to hunt him down. I have never I haven't tried any of his cheeses, yeah. so I'm very excited to. <laughs> he, he's just you know he's 
he's just one of the the grandfathers of Minnesota cheese here, and I hate to say that because he's not a very old guy, but um, <laughs> he, he's, um, he does a great job. His cheeses are, are fantastic, and he's even come out with you know some cheddars and, and things now that are, are really they're quite nice. Cool. And what about uh, your customers in the in the shop? Are they adventurous about trying new cheeses, or how do you kind of get people to branch out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the two stores are in two totally different neighborhoods. The the clientele in each store is completely different, and so the the manager of the Minneapolis store and I really you know try and egg each other on to see who can sell the the more challenging cheeses. Um, and and then we try and pit the the St. Paulites against the Minneapolis folks because there's there is somewhat of a sibling rivalry between the two towns. Right. Um, so we always like to you know pump each other up and say, "Whoa, we sold a ton of this in this in St. Paul." I mean, you know, you guys should buy it too. And so, um, but I, I would say overall, we we actually have pretty good we have pretty good luck. I mean, I can I can sell things like Hooligan, and there are people looking for those cheeses. Um, and you know that that's fun. We don't just have to sell Gouda to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Gouda is very lovable. It is. It is very lovable, and I, you know, and I have six different kinds in my tiny little case. But um, it's it's nice to sell something different sometimes. Sure. So I have a question. Um, what about any kind of like Minnesota cheese festivals? Do you guys organize oh, any question. events, or are there any kind of yeah Minnesota cheese shindigs that we should know about? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard. Um, you know, as, as you know, there's a state next door to us called Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> and then you guys got to like, you know, I, I can see an even bigger battle of St. Paul and Minneapolis. Yeah. Is one, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and, and so, you know, Minnesota, unfortunately, gets uh, gets overshadowed um, in some ways by the production of cheese from Wisconsin. Uh, there there are some new cheesemakers in Minnesota, and, and we're, we're excited about that. I mean, there's certainly no lack of dairy here there's there's sheep there there goats um there cows i mean there's plenty of space it's an agriculture state there's just not um a grand tradition of cheese making here uh and we we would love for that to change um we we would love to see more people in our backyard making delicious cheese that we want to sell in our shop yeah well, thanks to folks, you know, thanks to folks like yourself, I'm sure that will be the case because, yeah. you know, as people begin to, you know, the, the demand rises with uh, what people eat. So right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and of course, local is hot and we always get people asking us for local cheeses and, and, and certainly, you know, Wisconsin is very well represented in what, in what we do here. Um, and, you know, and Minnesota hopefully will continue just to increase here. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, thanks so much for taking the time out to be on the show with us today. Unfortunately, it always the half hour always goes by too quickly. Yeah. But um, uh, thanks again. And um, when I am next in the Midwest, I'm going to come seek out seek out your cheese shops. Head over to Minnesota. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. We look forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next week on Cutting the Curd. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The 
following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. The Snacky Tunes compilation has arrived and is available for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com. This compilation features live performances from some of the hottest acts around today, including Midnight Magic, Surfer Blood, Overhoffer, and more. Again, you can download this compilation for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, and make sure to listen to Snacky Tunes every Monday at 2 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. 